0: Hello and welcome once again to Behind the Bench with Neil Francis. This is episode four, I think we're up to now. Steaming ahead, number three was the 14-15 season. Andrew Lord's first as coach and the first for the new Canadian owners. Thank you so much for your feedback on that episode. We've had a very uh, positive one from that. Part two of that podcast is up now and uh, if you listen to this and you haven't listened to that please go to itunes and spotify and you can get those directly to your device but let's crack on with episode four i'm gareth hewish and i'm joined by john donovan good evening hello and of course neil francis hi guys so gone too soon won the poll little surprised the sheffield rivalry didn't win mm-hmm. if i'm perfectly honest but uh, it was very close a number of hours and um, so we'll keep that one on the back burner for now but gone too soon is the topic and we've got some rules so these aren't strict rules so I'm not gonna shout at you if you break them gentlemen okay. especially you John I know you'll <laughs> break <them. laughs> a bit of a maverick yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you'll you'll uh, you'll spin on but um, the rule is simply one season or less okay is the criteria for whether a player has gone too soon in Devils colours? Um, there are a lot of players who play two seasons, mm-hmm. and if we uh, didn't have this rule, this podcast would probably be about seven days in length. <laughs> so know. we'll. Uh, Some players have only lasted seven days, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll try and get to yeah. them as well. <laughs> yeah,
1: but there are lots of players that are gone too soon. Um, just because you'd want them playing for a decade, if you could. You know, yeah. you think of the likes of uh, Cully, was a recent one, you know, but he's big three one. years in. yeah. Uh, I think back to Tyson Toplitsky, who had yeah. three years, retired at 28 or something. Um, Even
2: guys like Hilton Ruggles, only three years, and, and could have done more. Yeah, and, and... Tyler Michelle, two yeah.
1: years. You know, I think we'd have loved to seen Tyler for, um, Absolutely. for a long time after that. So, yeah, I think we could have...
2: There's a long list of people There's who... There's a long
1: list. So let's limit it down to... Uh, yeah. that, that one
2: season Neil Francis of course we could have had more out of exactly than... they were trying to get rid of me from season one <laughs> <laughs> I stayed too long I think that's another episode yeah there's different guests for that one as <laughs> well so.
0: John I'm going to come to you um, because the story of a lot of these guys isn't really going to kick in until much later in Devil's history mm. for the first five six seasons yeah it's pretty plain sailing you as a fan um, in those early years, I guess it must have been a, a little bit like football was back then where you had a pretty structured team year after year and there was never really a case of worrying if players were going to leave mid-season or indeed there'd be m- many additions.
2: No, there, there, there wasn't. There was, a, there was a lot of continuity uh, in those days, probably helped by the fact there was only three imports at the time um, and and the British players tended to stay reasonably close to home and, until the Devils really broke the mould when when signing the, the, the Coopers. You know, in season one, and this was injury more than anything, uh, Franny mentioned big bad Bill Taylor in the, in the first episode. The Devils lost him early on and, and he was kind of a bit of a cult hero in that first uh, season. So so that was a shame. But no, you had guys who would make their homes here, um, mm-hmm. particularly the imports. And, you know, we know how long Shannon was here. We know how long John, John Lawless was here. Um, you know, Perry Olivier even did uh did the two seasons. Um so yeah, that three import rule really uh um kind of meant that there was a lot of of, of continuity. Um I remember there was a net called Chris Newton and he left kind of mid season uh to be replaced by Jason Wood. That was eighty nine ninety and, and that was the first time, really ever, someone had not turned their nose up at Cardiff. I think you wanted to go home to Peterborough for personal reasons or something, but you didn't expect people to, to ever want to leave Cardiff. You thought they'd be here until either we made the decision or, or, or until the end of their careers. So uh, Chris
1: Newton, of course, um, gives one of the better le- stories, yeah. le- legendary stories.
2: So. Well, he was uh, the, the, the the just about Chris Newton, and I'm sure Franny remembers this. The the. <laughs> Probably still my my second or third memory as a Devils fan was the night we won our first ever Premier League trophy and we we beat Peterborough I think 14-5 to to, to win it and Chris Newton had gone back to Peterborough and I think Paul Heavey was at Peterborough, possibly Peter Smith was at uh, Peterborough that year. But for the 14th goal, Chris Newton just stood aside and let Steve Moria score and I think Ken Taggart gave him a 10-minute misconduct penalty and and we won the league that night and uh and then he uh, was sacked straight after he was sacked straight i think he wanted to beat him up or something yeah
1: (laughs) i think the story goes he was uh, obviously he was you know superstitious and didn't like number 13 so he let us score number 14 by standing aside and giving it an empty net uh yeah he was then given his misconduct sacked directly after the game and he uh, he was up in the bar um, and the coach left without him. And I think all the fans, maybe even Devils fans had a whip, I, I whip think, round. Uh, Cause he was they? a former player, had a, he a mark, former, yeah. he had a whip round, so he could get, he could get, uh, a lift yeah. home. <laughs> and another little, little known fact about Steve, New- uh, Chris, Newton, Chris son, Newton, not Steve Newton, that's no, Kipper's son. That's Kipper Sutton, who's I, a good I, player too. I, yeah, I do. <laughs> so I'm sure you're listening in, <laughs> Kipper Jr. Um, but, uh, Chris Newton, unrelated to Kipper, um, <laughs> We think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was actually really? involved in the company or working for the company that put the ice
0: plant into the Viola Arena. Really? Wow.
2: There we go. Chris Newton.
0: Here we go. I, you know, I saw his name earlier and I didn't write his name down. He was a, he was a, and was a that main bit. feature. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In fact, this episode is now called <laughs> Chris Newton Stories. <laughs> We're going to sag off the rest of that. Okay. Uh, so, just a question on that because I, I, I wasn't a fan at this time. Yeah. I, I was only small. At what point of the game was this? Because if he's superstitious about goal number thir- 13, you've already scored 13 goals. Yeah. Did he really need to step aside well, it's, to, it's, to was, let in that 14? It was
2: about two minutes. Like, I, oh, OK. It right, just, again, and this is a story about a game that we weren't going to talk about, but I remember the whole game, the first, lined up on the blue line for the player announcements, all of the Peterborough players were wearing bandanas. Uh, like the crappy kid. <laughs> but Chris Newton wasn't for some reason. And then... Uh, superstitious. They are believe him. And if you ever get the chance to see it on YouTube, that earlier that day, uh, hopefully it's on YouTube, if not, I'll put it on there, um, John Wallace and Shannon Hope had been on a programme called Time for Sport with, with Peter Jackson. It was a, a BBC Wales programme. And Shannon freezes on it. Peter Jackson asks him a question, and, and Shannon can't answer. And after about 30 seconds, he goes, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm losing it here. <laughs> if Shannon's listening, hopefully he'll remember that. But I'll, I'll dig that out. That's, that was a great moment for that game.
0: <laughs> Sounds like a great game. It's going to be a whole episode in itself one day. Um, so, yeah, within the first few years, it, it didn't really um, appear that... This would be a thing that guys no, would be no. come and go to soon. I,
1: I do remember the, I think it was my, my first season was the second season of mm. The Devil, so second season of Perry Olivia. Yeah. I, I do remember my absolute shock horror at picking up the South Wales Echo yeah. and He'd reading gone. that Perry Olivia had been released. And I'm like, yeah. what do you mean? He's like our top scorer. He's our He's captain. Our, captain, our go-to guy. Yeah. And then, you know, however long it was, a week yeah. later, signed Steve Moria from yeah. Fife. Fife you know, who's one of the best players in the yeah. top league, uh, along with the Cooper brothers, and then you're like, wow, Well, this was know. the birth
2: of checkbook hockey. Yeah, and again, yeah. My I remember, if anyone, again, all the listeners remember Ice Hockey Call. Um, my dad rang that up to find out what the Devils' signings were, and and uh, he came back in to myself and my two brothers and said, uh, we've signed the Coopers. Uh I went, no, no, you're, you're lying. <laughs> An Ice Hockey Call was, I don't know, like a adult line in those days it was like £2.99 a minute to, to, to ring so we had to go back out and ring it for all of us so that we knew that we'd, so we'd, we'd sign the Coopers but yeah it was it was a shock when Perry Olivier went because it was only the second season it was 87-88 you knew, knew no different Perry had been this guy who'd sort of uh, helped form the team he'd coached in the first season he was captain in the second season you're losing him and you you know the, the, the knives were out for John Wallace and then a week later he's been to Wembley uh, Fife and Durham actually played in the final that year in, in 88 and uh, a couple of weeks later we signed all the key guys.
0: Just like that. Just like that. <laughs> Checkbook hockey. Um, so the first guy we'll um, focus in on is the first guy who really only had a, a few games but a, a huge impact and someone that I've seen that can win has put up on Twitter Mm -hmm. as well, but when he saw this episode was going to win. Um, Steve Cadieu was uh, the first real gone-too-soon devil, would we be in agreement with that? Yeah, 100%. What what a player.
2: Well, he he replaced two guys who I'm sure were lovely, and one of them came back to coach in this country, but maybe from a devil's perspective... didn't go soon enough, I'm not sure. Uh, That's in, a different in, episode. Yeah. Uh, Brad Grattan and Trent Anderson had come in with big reputations and went on to have you know d- decent careers elsewhere, but maybe uh, didn't quite settle in Cardiff. And um, I think
1: they settled too well in Cardiff. And that was the <laughs> <laughs> you were on that team, Franny, so I'll, I'll
2: bow to you on that. So after a few weeks, John Lawless being the ruthless man that he was. Um, jettisoned those two because we were struggling a little bit and we brought the Coopers back that year from Durham and this was meant to be the year we we you know uh, wrestled back control from Durham uh, and we were we were playing short and first of all Hilton Ruggles came in I think for a road trip uh, to Scotland um, and we we won in 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 Uh and I think that might have been Brad Grattan's last game and then uh, a, a week later uh, Steve Cadieu came in and obviously you know Franny will tell more of the story because. Uh, he actually played with him, but if anyone remembers his first ever game for the Devils at home uh, against Whitley Bay, which was a face-off game where he scores five goals, um, and, and I was talking to someone on Twitter about this the other day, his his, his fifth goal, Jason Wood stacks the pads, makes a save, Caju goes coast-to-coast. Um, and then there's this strut celebration and, and yeah. Paul Ferguson who's commentating goes look at the strut on him uh, <laughs> and, it, and was,
1: it was like the swagger that the he had swagger yeah and I do think that was the game I scored my first ever league I goal I think it might have been yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah, against, Phil,
2: against Philip King I think
1: no it must have been someone better than that <laughs> what was your salary? I uh, I remember, I, remember, yeah. I remember the line from Paul Ferguson said something like that. Look at the fun right, bumps on look him. Look at the fun bumps on him. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what you had fun those, bumps I don't know what fun bumps But you had those <laughs> black
2: gloves, you had those really weird black gloves. I, and put, you
1: Black gloves with uh, green writing on black them. Black
2: gloves with green writing. So there we go. Sure. I wasn't stalking you, I just, yeah. you know.
1: You just got, <laughs> the, just got a, a scary memory. Yeah. But, um, but uh, yeah, Steve could you I was, I was actually looking up him early in a bit of prep, and when you look back his junior career, Two years in a row, he was the second top scorer in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey yeah. League, which is ridiculous. That league has produced so many NHLers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was trying to look at, you know, for a name that he finished above that, you know, would be a a, Benchmark, to be a, a, yeah. a top scorer in the NHL. But a lot of the players around that era that got drafted were tough players. Yeah. And I, I think just Steve Cajou was born in the wrong era, mm-hmm. because had he been born now and finished second in the Quebec you know, Major Junior Hockey League, he would be a first round draft pick. Yeah. You know, he's like 170 odd points two years in
0: a row in that league, which is, which is ridiculous. I've got his stats here, actually. That's uh, why you're a good gazzer. Uh, <laughs> in his last season in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, he played 67 games, 73 goals, 90 assists, nine zero 0 assists mm. for 163 points and then actually played in the ECHL. And rips that up, you know, yeah. so it's
1: just massively unlucky that he didn't get a shot higher up because Skill wise, he was. I wonder
2: whether it was the defensive side of his game. So you had that great one two punch, Cadu centre in the first line, McEwen centre in the second line. But I remember Johnny Lawless, if we were ever in a situation, maybe a defensive zone face off or closing out a game, you know, we used to win games by 13 or 14 goals in those days. But there was a game against Murrayfield, I <laughs> to remember. To protect the lead. lead. He would send Dougie on um, just to, 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 to anchor the, the first line. So I'm not sure, I don't know, did you ever see anything Cadu's game where. Maybe in his own zone, he wasn't. He wasn't the strongest of players. I
1: don't think we were ever in our own zone back then, were we? <laughs> least, no, we weren't. Not much. Yeah. But, but you know what you said earlier. Whenever I think of Steve Kedew, I think of that that goal and yeah. that strut, and I, that's just like phenomenal. He was a wicked guy. He had a really close bond with Nicky Chin. Yeah. They became best buddies overnight, and uh, you know he was a great fit. You know, passionate player. Yeah. You know, he would have been a devil's legend had he had he continued. So definitely gone too yeah. soon.
2: He had one fight. He had a fight with Grant Slater of of when Murrayfield and Grant Slater kicked the crap out of him. So he wasn't a <laughs> fighter. Um but no, he was a great player and, and um funnily enough he, he was gone too soon and, and when Johnny Lawless went to Manchester, one of the first things he tried to do was bring Steve Kajou back to, to Manchester Storm and he signed Cadou. And Enkidu had a change of heart and I think retired, um, which was which was a shame. Or, or maybe you didn't, guys. You got the stats. But he was meant to come back to the UK and play for the Storm when John Lawless went up there. But it, it
0: never quite came to fruition. He finished his devil's career with um, 33 games. 60 goals? <laughs> That's not a bad yeah. return, is it? Most of them against Whitley. <laughs> <laughs> Philip King again in there. <laughs> he let goals in against anyone. <laughs> is he superstitious? Is he not? Uh, right? <laughs> yeah. 54 assists for 114 mm. points. And then
1: in the playoffs, I looked at it earlier, it was something like eight games and 30 points or something. I, like that.
2: And again, Sorry, this is just me throwing in stupid things. John Wallace didn't used to do too many tactical things. He just let the guys go. But I remember in the playoffs, he made Jason Stone censor the first line and Kudu dropped down and censored the second line just to give a bit more depth. And I think Dougie went back to winger. Um, so that's why Kudu scored a lot of goals. In the, and again, there was a Whitley game, which was again on face-off in the playoffs. I think he scored five or six goals. And if anyone knows the Anthony Beer book, it's it's funny when you win everything. That quote comes from Steve Kudu's interview on that programme. Uh, where in his broken kind of English-French, it's... Well, I'm not going to do the accent. Um, but it's and once
1: again, and once again, John freaks me out with his memory. I know, yes. <laughs> Yeah.
0: I've got what can only be described as half a tree yeah. worth of printouts here. Franny's got a, a whole host of notes and uh, John's just sat there, legs crossed. Yeah. Totally, yeah. Uh... <laughs> Scores the fifth goal against Hamperside in the final <laughs> at Wembley. I've heard enough now. Sorry. Moving on. Just to put a bow on yeah. the the steve kudu story um lawless went to
2: manchester 95 he let so we yeah 92 93 kudu played i think we tried to sign him back i think john lawless might have said in the in the echo that kudu was asking for a bit too much money we then got a guy who we'll talk about in a minute who was my favorite player ever to play in the uk and then after that it was claude dumas and at the end of that 94 95 season lawless uh, took the offer from from manchester uh, and yeah, one of the first things he tried to do for the, what would have been the 95-96 season,
0: was, was sign Kudu, Kaju agreed the contract but then pulled out. He did, and he went to the San Diego Gulls in the West Coast Hockey League and ripped that up. 60 points in 37 games. Yeah. I think mean, after he left us, in between those years, he was in the Swiss B League, which mm. is, you
1: know, how yeah. the league itself and uh, just shows the quality of the guy.
2: Absolutely.
0: So, I mean, that's the kind of quality that we're dealing with in this episode, Steve Kajur. And um, from a, a kind of a fan's perspective, John, to, was that the first real disappointment in terms of Cooper's went and yeah. came back and Was there a feeling that Kajir had gone and he was never, ever going to come back? Was that the first kind of blow in terms of of, of players leaving in that regard? It
2: it was. It it was tempered. Um, It was a blow Kajir leaving because he'd had such a good season, particularly as he found his feet playing two-line hockey as the season went on uh, and was racking up points. He also won number 13, which I think is one of the coolest numbers in hockey, so I really like that. But when he left, I guess... I, I think it was an unkept secret or, or Franny maybe you'd know again that D- Durham had just been relegated um, all through the relegation playoffs and even though they came back in through a restructuring in the Premier League I think it was pretty common knowledge that, that Rick Brabant was, was likely to leave now if Kudu was good for me controversially Brabant was another level again so I thought it was going to be the moment that, that Brabant actually came and played in the Devil's Jersey and for 93-94 it turned out to be
0: well let's stick with that Rabant, yeah. you uh, were on Twitter the other day saying that you're surprised that Rabant gets...
2: I'm not surprised, <laughs> he, uh, he is ridiculed, he's kind of a Marmite character and I didn't know, I don't know Rick Rabant, I, I talked to him a little bit when we were organising the Legends game, I didn't have to spend 40 weeks a season in a... Was he your a choice? A, <laughs> he was my choice, he was my choice but I lost him to Sheffield. Um... <laughs> But yeah, he, you know, I didn't have to spend 40 weeks a season in a dressing room with him. I, I don't know what Rick Rabant's like Rick like as a person. I can only speak as a, as a player, and I, I guess I like those anti-heroes who would go through a brick wall or, or kill their mother to, to win. And the first time I ever saw Rick Rabant was um, Wembley 88 on grandstand, uh, and he, I think he scored seven goals in a semi-final. Tony Hand scored six for Murrayfield, but Durham went through, and he just looked a class act. And... You know, he tore up the league from there. And it was, you know, we had Stevie Murray. And Stevie Murray was, you know, a, a, a god. But, and, and probably a, a better playmaker than Brabant. But I always loved Brabant's um, evil streak. And, and I think it was
1: the all-round ability, wasn't yeah. it? You name it, he could do it. You know, he could score, like you said. He could make plays, but he could hit like a truck. Mm-hmm. If he dropped the gloves, he was very competent yeah. at that. And, you know, he, he could very much hold his own at that. Um, he had that grit. He had that selfish streak that yeah. the desire to win he had everything and yeah I am mean, in agreement with John here like one of the best players you know for his era to, to play for the Devils and would have played in any era as I well I think so. in, a, in any Devils team if you had Rick Brabant in there it's going to be a better team um, you know as a teammate he wasn't the most popular <clears throat> yep um, he was very 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 self-assured um, <laughs> he wasn't afraid to rub people up he wasn't afraid to talk about what he just done on the ice? Now I'm a big favor, a big fan of. Um, if you've done something fantastic, let other people talk about it, and you know you shouldn't have to bring it up. But he was, you know, he was probably the first one to bring up in conversation about the great play he just made mm-hmm. or the great goal he just scored, and you know that that doesn't go down well in no. the dressing room. Um, but I almost gave him the benefit of the doubt on that because I felt that he was that good that he earned that arrogance if you like to, to talk about if you wanted to talk about himself yeah. he could talk about himself but um, yeah a fantastic player you know a winning machine um, and you know just a general in, t- in terms of all round hockey players I think he's hard to beat
2: Are you going to talk about the rumour that's been going around for years or are we just going to leave it and not touch upon it? What's that rumour? Uh, th- 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 there was a particular Fight, f-
1: fight in the dressing
2: room. Fight in the dressing room, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, well, it was... I don't think it was a as big a fight as everybody, you know, makes out. But there was definitely... Shannon had done something.
2: I heard uh, he'd taken Brabant's towel. Yeah, I think you are. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: you, you can just imagine it, you know, Shiny kind of having a laugh, watch this, guys, or whatever. And then Brabant was never one to hold his lip. And, you know, and he confronted Shiny... Yeah and then Shiny kind of like gave it to him back and wasn't gonna, you know, wasn't gonna back down. And they did end up having like a, a semi-naked <laughs> wrestle over the weight bench that was in the middle of the dressing room and had to be dragged apart. So um, it wasn't like a toe-to-toe where there was blood flying everywhere, but there was most definitely a confrontation. And yeah, Shiny was definitely the instigator. <laughs> Uh, Brabant wasn't backing down, and you know you had two tough guys. Yeah, that, that's it? a good matchup. Yeah, it is a really good matchup, and uh, yeah, and then I think you know people wading in to, to pull them apart. At the end of the day, they were teammates, but you know I think the guys would have taken shiny side every day of yes. the week because uh, you know the the guy he is and you know maybe the you know he was ten times the teammate yes. that, that Brabant was, but you know nobody likes to see teammates fight, so uh, yeah. it was stopped pretty quick.
2: But that was Talking about the ones that, that really hurt, and you're right, the Coopers came back, that was the first one that, that really hurt me because Brabant had been signed on a two-year contract. Um, so it came out of the blue after, you know, everything was great, we just won the double again. Brabant had played at uh, Wembley, he'd worn a really silly American flag bandana which we <laughs> saw when he got into a fight with Tommy Plummer. Um, <laughs> And then just out of the blue, um, he, he left and went to Nottingham. And I, I was devastated at that. Um, he reunited with Mike Blaisdell. And I've got to say, um, Steve Murray and Doug McEwen aside, and a few other great Devils combinations, Blaisdell, Brabant, Durham was probably my favourite um, sort of 1 2 combination to, to, to play in the UK game. But when, when he left to go to Nottingham with, with Blaisdell, I did, uh, yeah, I, I genuinely felt gutted
1: when you think about Brabant and the Devil shirt there's two things that come to mind it's first of all the strawberry shirt the strawberry <laughs> shirt I do <laughs> it was meant to be the devil's head yeah. it was meant to be sort of subtly embossed all over oh, the God, shirt they but horrible. they were they were actually deep red and they looked like strawberries all yeah. over them and also uh, Brabant <laughs> wore like the golf like helmet, yeah. The yes, he did. Helmet. He offered
2: the Joffa helmet, yeah, yeah. He used
1: to wear his VM, didn't he? Yeah. Up in um, up in Durham, yeah. which was really cool, yeah. You know, the VM like Gretzky, and then I think the league banned them, yes. So then he ended up wearing the Joe the full on Joffa, yeah. golf ball, and it looked ridiculous. It did,
2: well, I suppose when you're scoring 200 points a season, maybe yeah, you can get away with these things.
1: things, but well, I'm sure he was, I'm sure he was with the belt his- and the bandana <laughs> and everything else, but
0: yeah, yeah. Two quick names that I came across during my research that didn't play very long at all, but I'm guessing that there's a reason for that and there's a couple mm. of interesting stories. Um, the first one is Paddy Scott had a couple of lone uh, yeah. appearances for the Devils a, a, a few years apart. What do we know about Paddy Scott?
2: They, they were injury covers. Pad, Paddy Scott was a, a very good player for for Milton Keynes uh, and later Basingstoke, and he played in the Super League for, for, for Basingstoke. and. Uh, was good. I never thought he was kind of top two or three Premier League team good, but he was he was a good player. But he was I, always in the league below. He was always him in and Doug, the, McCarthy, him, Doug McCarthy, and Rick Strachan. And, up, yeah, the two of them, the partnership was
1: fantastic. Absolutely. But I think
2: there was a rule that if GB used to play before we played our world, uh, they used to play the World Championships before we played Wembley, and I think there was a rule that if you had a player injured on GB duty, yeah. even though it was beyond the transfer deadline, you could bring a player in. So. Uh, Paddy Scott would have played first of all 91-92 he played a game against Nottingham which was on grandstand and we we lost Jason Wood letting a goal from the red line and then he came (laughs) back for my worst memory as a Devils fan um, in terms of actually losing a match which was against Sheffield in the 94-95 Wembley semi-finals and he covered Ian Cooper that day who got injured on GB duty we lost on penalty shots um and I've said to Franny before that was the that was the day I really sort of felt the tide turn, and and Sheffield wrestled control off us as we had done off Durham in terms of the the dominant force in in British ice hockey. So, not that I'm Paddy Scott, but uh, <laughs> it was all his fault.
0: <laughs> and the second name I'll bring up, I believe this is um, a player brought in for Europe, uh, Gary Stefan. Gary oh, Stefan,
2: yeah, ninety two. 93 when we won the league. 93, 94 Brabant year. Yeah. yeah was uh, like 94. Well, was it 93,
1: 93. 93. So it would be 93, 93 when 93, when you yeah. guys
2: had to leave the hotel. When, yeah. when, was it Stephen Cooper found the dead rat or something in the hotel? or, or No, that was... Or the dead body was... No, <laughs>
1: two, two stories getting mixed up. So Go on. The first one is our first trip into Europe, into Latvia. Yeah. And we turn up at the hotel that the team had put on for us. And, you know, you all go off, you know, you get your pairings, you go off to your yep. room and I've gone into my room and, you know, I'm a pretty young kid then. Mm. I'm looking around and going like, "Ooh, I'm not sure about this, but you can, you're sort of going to put up with it. Yeah. You know, the, the sheets are dirty and there was like, you know, fleas on them and you go into the shower, there's electric cables like hanging <laughs> in your shower. <laughs> Water like, and electricity, the ooh, perfect combination. Yeah, yeah. And what could go wrong here? And then, like, there's a knock on the door and it's, you know, some of the other boys going like, oh my God, you should see our room. And they come in, oh yeah, yours is the same. And, you know, it got to the stage, you know, we all ended up going down into the, the yeah. lobby of the hotel and Lawless has just phoned the um, the, the organisers and said, you put us up in somewhere else or yeah. we're, we're basically not playing. And, you know, that would have disgraced them as a host. Yes. Um, so we ended up checking into the nicest hotel in... Latvia at the time, which still wasn't yeah. great, but that's great. had a nightclub in the basement and a casino, Perfect. so the guys are happy and it was clean and there was no bugs and no yeah. electricity in the shower. So no trip advisor and I was there. So that was that one. And then there was a, another trip maybe when we were in Belarus. Yeah. Um, where it was a nice hotel, really nice hotel, and there was, you know, a restaurant and a cafe in it and everything and a couple of the boys had gone into the cafe to get a coffee and somebody had just died in the cafe <laughs> and they had literally just covered his head, laid him on the floor, and someone had nicked his shoes.
0: one <laughs> well, <are> of the boys? <laughs> no, one of the locals. Chris Newton. And then, <laughs> yeah,
1: and then eventually, like everybody else, like, you know, word spread amongst the guy, oh my God, there's a yeah. dead body in the cafe. You know, word spread amongst the guy, so the, you know, the curiosity got the better, so everybody sort of piles down to the cafe to, to have a look at this event and everybody was sitting there drinking their tea and their coffee as if nothing had happened and <laughs> then the sort of hotel porters brought in a, a ladder put the body <laughs> on the ladder who was now covered in the coat minus his shoes yep. and sort of carried him out like a stretcher but on a ladder
2: it's the glorious chalk outline <laughs> yeah. in the middle of the cafe <laughs> Like, no, Gar- Gar- so Gary Garry- Stemp
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> was not the body. No, he wasn't. Um, he was the play manager of Slough. He was play manager yeah. Slough. He was very close to John G- he Lewis. He was. Uh, you know, they were really, really good friends. I think at the time they were both reclassified yes, imports. They were. they were playing on GB together, and in the Europa Cup there was no restriction on imports no. because it's obviously a cross nation competition. Um, so we could draft in some extra bodies yeah. because at the at that time it was two line hockey with the kid line. Yes. You know, so we needed some some reinforcements so he brought in Steph and uh, yeah Yeah. he played that that tournament
2: again I take all of my references mainly from Face Off which was one of the greatest shows (laughs) ever produced and and credit yeah the greatest show ever probably and I remember Gary Stephan giving an interview saying when John told me I was going to play in this competition he said I was going to go out with Franny and Richard Townsend and maybe play eight or nine minutes a game. Then in the first game, I think Shannon got thrown out and Hilton Ruggles, I think, maybe got thrown out for fighting. And all of a sudden, Gary Steffen was playing 35 minutes a game. (laughs) Uh, It was a bit of a culture shock, but um, yeah.
1: So so the guy I thought you were going to say, Gaza was brought in the year after for the European Cup. Similar situation was Doug Smale. Doug Smale. And I think he's another... Yeah, uh, it was a little bit of a cheat here because it does spread over two years. It does spread Yeah, you're breaking the two, rules. Yeah, so but it's not breaking the rules. So it's not a full it's season. Not firing. Fair it's not fair enough. It's two parts. He's seasons. worth talking about. Yeah, um, so we bring him in for European competition, and yeah. then he stays on for another two or three games, I think. League yes. games. Yeah. Um, and then the year after, we brought him in halfway through the year. Yeah. Probably for injury cover or, or whatever. But I was fortunate enough to play on his line. Wow. And it was an absolute dream. It it made me look twenty times the player that I was. I could mm-hmm. literally throw a behind-the-back pass, uh, or you know, no look pass, yeah. and everything. And he, he had, anticipated, had it. anticipated it, and he was on the end of it, and he would do something good with it. And you know, everyone was saying that we were building up this chemistry, and it was purely down to him being such Not a good all, kind of reader of the game that he could see hey, where where I was going. You're on throw. a
2: line with Robert Millet. You were doing a lot of work there. Well, no, that.
1: that <laughs> That actually totally ruined it. We brought in Robert Millette
2: for Keats at yeah. the
1: end of that season, for the playoff push, yeah. and you know, that, that's a whole story in itself. That again, before there was YouTube yeah. and there was you know elite prospects, all those kind of stuff. You probably are relying on agents then. Yeah. So they had this guy Robert Millette, um, who was you know a junior drafted star, by Chicago, drafted by Chicago, this, that, and the other. Um, and the guy, when the guy turned up, he was like, he was 40 if he was a day. And, you know, he was meant to be in, in the prime of his career. He went on the ice and he was on the line with me yeah. and Smail. And he was just the hardest guy ever to play with because <laughs> I was I was confused at first, whether it was his kind of fake pass yeah. or whether he was actually missing the puck because his stick was too short. <laughs> Cause he would like fire a pass at you and you'd go to react to take that pass. Huh? And then he'd look back, and it hasn't <laughs> left his stick. But then he would like dig it out of his skates, and he'd put it back to you. By this time, you're already reaching for the first pass, and and it was just like it was horrible. And yeah. he was just, I'm gonna put him down as the worst import ever to play for the Devils. Um, <laughs> and and I I don't think we ended up winning it. And I like,
2: no, we didn't. We, we he didn't. He'd upset he upset everything. I remember my <clears> brother turning <throat> to me and saying. Uh, yeah, if that guy's ever worn the Chicago Blackhawks uniform, it's in front of a mirror in his house. Because uh, <laughs> Lovely guy that I'm sure he was. But, uh, yeah. But Dougie Smale, I think I'm right in saying when he came to Fife and formed a brilliant combination with Mark Morrison, he yeah. was the first guy ever to step out straight from the NHL to come to, yeah. to UK hockey. And he was unbelievable.
1: Yeah, because we had him at, at, like, 36, I think. Yeah. And he was still the fastest guy in the league, wasn't was he? Awesome. And he was. He was really fit. He was you know, well into looking after himself and everything. And uh, he was absolutely rapid, an absolute gentleman, yeah. and, you know, one of the best guys to read the game. And, you know, that that's, that was one of the highlights of me playing absolutely. was to get to play alongside him for, a, you know, a number of games. And, you
2: know, I really enjoyed that. Um, one of the guys we've, we, we, we've missed, and I, I'm not sure whether on hockey ability he fall into greats, but I think he had the coolest name in hockey, Jamie van der Horst. I just love that name <laughs> when he gets- <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, Vanderhorst, yeah, he was, again, a wicked, we brought him in, he was young, I think he was like yeah. 23, um, it, 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 he was, you know, a, a tough, no-nonsense D-man, you know, I always remember his, kind of, the anticipation of his matchups with Perry Doyle and yes, Sheffield, so yeah. Perry Doyle was the Sheffield in force at the time, you know, Vanderhorst wasn't going to have any nonsense from yeah. that, and you know, he knew he was a lot smaller, and he just had to tuck his head in and kind of yeah. aim for Perry's head, but... uh yeah, Jamie van der a wicked guy, wicked player. Um
2: and then went on to to Sheffield, which, uh, which spoiled everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> again a face off sorry, face offline again. Rich BoPray turns around when Perry Doyle is, is fighting Jamie van der and Bob turns around and goes, uh yeah, Jamie van der he's the type of guy that you can stand there and hit him with a hammer and then he's gonna take it out of your hands and say, Now it's my turn. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just a final uh a bow on doug smell because he he does qualify even though mm-hmm. he goes across two seasons there's only uh 19 games across those two seasons so i think that uh more than qualifies. you be quite right johnny came directly to fife from the ottawa senators and then by the time he got to cardiff um he had three league games and the european trip in 94 95 mm-hmm. and then 95 96 16 games 12 goals, I assume that's 12 assists for you, Fanny, on that? Um, probably that was the time you were bumped up to the first line, <laughs> or they were power play assists. 14 assists for 26 points.
2: I think he was due to come back as well for the next year. I think um, Paul and uh, Heavey had gone out and and, and stayed with him, and, and I don't know where, where Doug lived, but Doug was meant to be coming back for... the for the next season uh, and I'm not sure, quite sure what, what happened there and um, and then the next well, season. I think he's when
1: he found out he had to play with me again. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: and then we had Glenn Anderson for one game I think the next season. And he was my line mate
1: as well. He was, he's, yeah. yeah. And I got an assist on his own. Goal uh, it time. was a
2: great goal against Stuttgart, so
0: yeah. Well, we've got to touch on Glenn Anderson, I mean.
1: Yeah, gone too
0: soon. Gone, gone too soon.
1: soon. So that was the first year of the Super League, yeah. wasn't
0: it? Yeah. It was where... Um,
1: uh, Sky Money had just gone yep. into football. Uh, Sir John Hall was involved in Newcastle. Yeah, he was. And Newcastle hockey. And there was this whole thing. I remember there being a three-year plan for the Devils. Yes. Um, on the way to the, new, the stadium. new arena. So we were. This was going back 1996. 1996. <laughs> yeah. So there was three years we were going to be in the new arena. And I remember them. I remember the plan was we were going to lose half a million quid a yeah. year. Um because Good because then <laughs> we've when, had worse <laughs> and we've lost more <laughs> uh, but uh, you know and then in year four you know or, or maybe even before we get to the new stadium TV money's coming in yeah. you know they've thrown it all at football they're going to throw it at the hockey and you know that was the kind of business plan so um, I remember Glenn Anderson was a contact with jason wood mm-hmm. where wood used to live in penticton in the summers and coach at the hockey school and he'd met him he was looking for a gig in europe having done everything you can mm-hmm. do in in north america with the oilers dynasty and all the stanley cup rings and stuff like that um so he was going to come across for training camp with one eye on a shop window to get a better job but there was a possibility mm. and i remember the amount of money that Either we were offering or he was asking for, it sticks in my mind, was nine grand a week. Okay, yeah. nine thousand pounds a week is, is what the deal. And I, I think it's because we couldn't get, and they were going to go significantly close to that, yes. but it was never getting up to, and, that, and that's what he wanted. Um, so that was, we went away for training camp to Brest in mm-hmm. France. Yeah. Um, so we went across there, we had a number of tryout players. So, one of the guys I picked up from the airport who was coming on tryout, um, a guy, i trying to think of his name now, mm-hmm. Vezio something, Vezio Sacchettini, so- <laughs> that's him. I think I've w- heard of him. I wonder, yeah, wonder what happened yeah, to him, yeah, but mm-hmm. we always jo- I always joke with Vez, and you know, he, he always said, said remember Franny, I was a walk-on, because he was, uh, I picked him at the airport, he literally came with his bags, I was just looking for this Italian yeah. guy with hockey sticks, and um, you know, picked up Vez, had a chat with him, drove back to Cardiff, and then we flew over to France, uh, some players met us over there. There was Stefan Zeesh. Steph- yeah. There was Marco somebody. Yeah. We just called him Beavis because he looked like Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> um, so that stuck and he was like, Why you call me Beavis? I like Beavis. So he didn't like it, but of course the more he didn't like it, the more it stuck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we had a we had a guy, a six foot six D-man with an Irish passport, so he was ticking all the boxes, yeah. recommended to us from by Ken Priestley. Okay. Um, who skated with him in the summer and just said, you got to take a look at this kid, you know, mm-hmm. he's tough. He is, you know, an absolute hidden gem here. Um, so we flew him over to meet us in Brest yeah. and uh, probably the worst hockey player and <laughs> probably the biggest satisfaction for Ken Priestley playing a gag on a rival yeah. club. <laughs> because first training session he went out there, he didn't even tie his skates up. And when we asked him, what are you doing? Yeah. It was because he was strengthening his ankles. Um, <laughs> He, we had a golf day, and instead of playing golf, he was staying back at the hotel so he could put his blades on and jump over cars. Um, just a special, pick, just a special case. And we had a game against Brest then, and you know, uh, on one of the shifts, there's a bit of a brawl, yeah. and uh, he he gets into this fight, drops the gloves, drops the stick, and grabs onto this guy, and as he's falling down, the guy stands on his stick and falls down first and he comes bombing back to the bench and he's like, see that guy's one punch, that's all I needed, one punch. So he became one punch then. <laughs> the rest of the trip, that, his name was One Punch. Um, interestingly, in all this time, Glenn Anderson did not go on the ice once. <laughs> okay. So he was meant to be here kind yeah. of skating with us. Um, he, he came across and he had his, his girlfriend yeah. at the time and she was there and you know, he came on the golf day and they drove around in the golf buggy mm-hmm. and everything. He didn't touch the, the ice once. He came into Cardiff. He probably ate out in every nice restaurant there was. <laughs> didn't come on the ice. Played that one exhibition yeah. game and then got a, a
2: contract in Switzerland. Came on the ice in the limo on the on He the Came on the ice day, in the limo, yes, he did, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: he played that, that one game and then he got his nine grand a week in Switzerland yes. and uh, that was the end of Glenn Anderson. Yeah. Um, the day he was leaving, he invited all the guys to, uh, remember, Champers at the time, which yes. was the steakhouse of, yeah. you know, of, of the rich and famous, and uh, invited all the guys over. So we had steaks, and we had a load of beers and stuff like that, and we all thought, you know, this guy is a roller, you know, he's he's paying for all this. And then once he'd gone, we found out that the club had given him a credit card to put all his expenses on. <laughs> so all the all the days he'd spent, instead of being on the ice, eating yeah. out, were basically paid for by the club, <laughs> and that final meal to say goodbye was paid for by the club.
2: That's, that's good of that. Wow, Glenn God. Anderson. See, that's the story. Hockey that, Hall of Fame, <laughs> if he, if he welches on a stage.
0: <laughs> but he wouldn't have got his goal. If not I mean, for Franny. If not for Franny. Absolutely. Oh, I was probably trying to shoot and Don't I mean, be swirly. That <laughs> is, Stop I'm selling not yourself short. Sure. That. Um, that first Super League year, um, you've already mentioned him in your, uh, your, uh, your story there about pre-season, but... Maybe not a gone too soon, but in terms of significant mm. um, departures, know. Stefan Ziech is uh, probably most famous for his replacement. But uh, it, it
2: was a shame with Stefan. Not not a shame in the long term because because we got Steve Thornton in. But Stefan, if I remember correctly, had kind of been signed as this this swing guy who could play defense and forward. I don't know. He he would he never played defense for the Devils. He had a really slow start. Um, but around about end of November. Mid-November, end of November, he'd, he'd been put with Machulik and Hodge. Um, and his, I think his last ever game in Cardiff, he scored a winner against Sheffield. It might have been a 4-3 game and, and Stefan G scored the winner. Uh, and he was just becoming a little bit of a, a hero. Um, and he was released before it was announced that Thornton was coming in. So it was this guy who was a little bit of a... Uh, a good luck story and people rooting for him and, and he'd had a slow start, was now coming good and, and, and he was released. I remember Paul Heavey got a little bit of um, criticism and then um, Stevie Thornton was, was, was brought in and had a first game against the University of Manitoba on a Friday night and, and didn't look fantastic. Um, but then got a little bit better from there on in, including <laughs> Boxing Day against Sheffield. But yeah, Stefan Zeech was a was a trier uh, who maybe needed a little bit of time to become accustomed to British ice hockey. He'd, he'd come over on a on a tryout. He'd been signed. He was in the limousine with, with Glenn Anderson. Um, he was uh, driving. Yeah, he was, he was driving.
0: <laughs> if I remember correctly, did he finish with eight goals and eight assists? Oh, perfect, John. Oh my eight God. goals, he eight assists. 16 Sorry, 16 points in 20 games. No penalty minutes.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think there was ever any intention, you know, when he was brought over, I think it was just out of curiosity, you know, mm. they invited all these guys and, you know, a few German guys turned up to, to try out, as I said, but, you know, he impressed in those games and in the, the training camp and then he was kept on, so maybe it was a case of last in, first out, yeah. uh, and then when somebody with a, a better resume was, was thought to be a better fit came in, like Steve Thornton, then, you know, he was the one to make way, but... I remember when I first saw Steve Thornton because he had a really weird style, didn't he? A very yep. small stick. He never looked like he was in control of the puck. He looked like really rusty. Um, but then he would do stuff and, he, you know, he'd score a goal. and am like, oh, my God, he got away with that. You know, he was kind of juggling the puck for a little bit then. And, you know, somehow it's gone in and then mm-hmm. did it again and again and again yeah. and again. And mm-hmm. after a while you're thinking, hang on, that's not luck. And that was just his style. He, you know, he did have a strange style, but, you know, what a what, oh, a, goal what scorer.
2: a hockey player. Yep. What a hockey player.
0: Just a uh, last little bit on Stevan he Played in the DL right until the mid two thousands. Did he I um, didn't know for, the, He's got for the, a lot of the coaching, isn't he? And he is now an assistant coach at uh, Ice Baron Berlin, yeah. CHL team. He's a video coach and assistant coach. So, mm-hmm. I mean that. Uh, he oh, probably did him a favour, didn't he? You look at what he went on to. We know Ooh, he's right. go- it worked out alright. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think everyone's he's happy. On, he's <laughs> we, know,
2: we know who's going to Sheffield.
1: I wonder, I wonder what happened to Beavis. this <laughs> <laughs> <Or> One Punch.
0: <laughs> well, that was part one of Gone Too Soon. I'll admit, my favourite entry so far in this series of podcasts... We have to try and track down who Beavis and One Punch were and we'll try and get Elite Prospects to change their entry name. In all honesty, this is likely to be a three-parter as we still have the Super League years and the Big Blue Tent eras to cover. Turns out that the Dells have been pretty blessed with talent over the years and we just kept talking and talking and uh, we've got all this content that we're going to want to share with you. Uh, But for now, please enjoy part one as I record... This outro, it's the eve of the Belfast Doubleheader. So if you are a Devils fan, listening to us on your way there, be safe, have a great time. And if you are listening in the future, and I can only hope I'm thinner and richer than I am currently, keep interacting with us on Twitter via at BTB Franny, and maybe soon there'll even be some YouTube action coming up for the podcast. Keep watching this space. But for now, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. And keep enjoying your hockey wherever you are. Good night.